chapter 4 and a couple of other places just a little bit. Because this is thematic, we will be hopping about a bit. But that's one of the reasons we've got this little booklet to help us to focus our attention. So I'm going to pray now, asking the Lord to help us. Lord, we're talking about caring for one another. Caring for one another, not in a sentimental way, but in a deep and meaningful way. We want to be a church that cares for one another in a way that we are cared for by Christ himself. We want to be bound together with that. We don't want to walk in prideful self-sufficiency. But we find it hard, Lord. So teach us your way from your word. Help us to get a picture of what it looks like to belong to the people of God. And we pray that with your strength and your grace that we will wait upon, we will be an attractive community to a world that knows it needs help. Please help us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So many of you know that I, I do a lot of counselling and I tutor and train people at counselling. I've worked at a counselling centre and I speak at counselling conferences. Um, but what you guys probably don't know is that the first time I did a counselling course, it was, in no uncertain time, terms, an unmitigated disaster. So at the age of, I don't know, 22, 23, when I'm filled with a sense of ability to take on the world, not make too many mistakes along the way, I signed myself up, uh, up for this introduction to counselling course where through that period you learn about how to listen to what people are talking about and what matters to them. You learn all kinds of speaking and listening skills, things like reflecting back, use of questions, posture, how you attend in the room. I was really good at sitting there like this, looking really weird, like sort of like some sort of twisted up crane. Uh, didn't quite work. And everything was going swimmingly well, and I was thinking, I'm going to be amazing at this counselling business until it got to the role play about halfway through the 12 week course. And in the role play, you found somebody else who was on the course and who was your guinea pig. And so what you would do is you would sit opposite them and you would ask them questions and you would reflect back and you would say things like, and so I hear you saying this. And I would do all of that and try to get to the root of what was most important to them and what was going on. And of course, to do that is a little bit dangerous to sort of be asked questions by people about, uh, who you don't know wonderfully well about the fine china and the details of your life. It's quite unsettling. You have to be vulnerable. But I was quite good at it, and it was, seemed to be going okay, and it was great. And then we had to swap roles. Now, some of you, as we've been, for some reason, over the last few days with the change of the year, we've been talking a little bit about the past and about what we were like 10, 15, 20 years ago. And one thing that is very apparent is that 10, 15, 20 years ago, I was even more of an idiot. I want to use a stronger word than that, but we can't because this is being recorded. Um, even more of an idiot than I am now. Uh, I visited that, that down upon my poor, unsuspecting wife at the time, and it took her an awful lot, a long time to get over the mental scars. But of course I was utterly oblivious to this, until it came to that counselling moment where things flipped, and somebody started asking me about questions of things in my life that I found difficult. 
And all I can explain to you is this monumental discomfort that I experience. And I couldn't, I, I felt, it, for me, it expressed itself in anger. <laughs> and they'd ask me questions, I'd do. They'd be really gentle, they'd be like, so what are you feeling? No. Okay, well maybe we could talk about it. Why? And it, it came out as anger. But as I thought about it afterwards, it, it wasn't so much anger, it was self-righteousness. You see, I didn't have a problem believing that the person I was asking questions was needy and could be helped. I dared to suppose that maybe even I could be some help to them. But what do you think it was that I found so painful? Why was it that I responded in anger? What was it, and I'm going to say the words, and then you can edit it out of it. I thought other people needed help, but I didn't. Or at least the idea that I hadn't got it all together was almost physically painful. See, I liked the idea of thinking that I could see reasonably well, that I had strength, emotional strength. That's incredibly appealing to a guy who is as proud as I am. It was what my wife had been screaming at me through argument after argument and tears after tears of our early married life. But I didn't understand it. I'm like, clearly the problem's with you, girl. You're in unhinged. You fell out of the crazy trip. And what she found difficult to put into words was that I liked the idea of being able to help others. But I liked it from the place of being okay myself. It took a long time for me to be broken down to realise that I need. That in that counselling moment, my need was probably greater than the person who I was talking to. What we're going to learn here, and it's, I hope you've, you've noticed this, we could start a, a series on caring for one another with all the need that is out there. Because that's where we like to start, don't we? We turn on our TVs and we watch the news and we see all the need that is out there and we use that to say, come on, somebody's got to do something about this. And we go on a, on a quest to make it happen. But in the Bible, everything's totally different. The reason that you care for other people in the Bible isn't because primarily of their need that you see that the most clearly. The reason we care for one another and become a community of carers is because we are growing in an awareness of the needs of our own soul. And we found a place where that need is met and we want that for other people. See, the Bible tells us that at the very best, we are nothing more than beggars showing other beggars where they can get bread. Psalm 103 says, forget not the Lord and all his benefits, which immediately tells you and me that no matter how many dollars you've got in the bank and how fast your car is, every single one of us is on spiritual benefits. Now we can deny that and say, well, well I don't need as much as the rest of you. So I've just a little bit more arrived. Or we can accept what the one who knows us and loves us says about it, that you are desperately, desperately needy. There's just two categories of people in the world, the ones who see it increasingly and the ones who deny it. And 20 odd years ago, when I did that counselling course, which category do you think I was in? 
Now let me just pre-warn you, you, you if, if you're there and the Lord loves you, he's going to take you on a journey of discovery. I would suggest you surrender quickly, because otherwise you're in for a bumpy ride. And that was, wasn't it? My poor long-suffering wife, she had the brunt of it. Listen, this book starts by talking about the first lesson is with all humility. This is what he says. Our helpfulness, our care for souls, starts with our need for care. We need God. We need other people. Maturity through dependence, our goal. Did you hear that? People say, oh yeah, to be mature is to be independent. No. Those who are most wise, most mature, are the ones who are most dependent on the Lord. Do you get that? If you want to grow, if you want to serve, then be dependent upon the Lord. Because otherwise you're trying to do it in your own strength, and with all due respect to you, I don't care how much you've gone to the gym, how many books of the Bible you've read, you just have not got the clout to get the job done. That's something that those of us who are church leaders have to tell ourselves all the time, because the world out there says, find an inner strength. And the more you go on in this life, the more it will reveal that very few of us have got much inner strength at all, but we have a strength that is outside of us that we can draw down upon, and when we know him in dependence, then we can do things that are strong. The Bible says you can do all things, I'm sorry, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Implication, without that, I can't do a fat lot. He goes on and he says this, as a way to put this humility to the test, ask for prayer. This will contribute to a church culture that is less self-protected, protective, and more united. Do you get what he's saying? You want to spot the strong people in a church family, listen out for the ones <coughs> who ask you to pray for them. <coughs> now, I want to be really careful when I say this. When I say pray for them, I don't mean pray for their circumstances. We've talked about this an awful lot. There is a massive difference between praying for somebody's circumstances and praying for them. Because remember, in the middle of a circumstance, there is always a person right in the middle of it. You get that, don't you? There is a person who has a real heart, who is interacting with the situation around. And that person, as they face whatever that situation may be, maybe it's a certain financial hardship, maybe it's a difficult relationship, maybe it's emotional turmoil, and they see things around them. And what they're doing is they're constantly saying, well, if that thing wasn't there, or if it was a bit different, then I would be okay. Not realising that most of the junk that we're feeling is not generated by the circumstance. It has simply bubbled up and we've seen what is inside us, and the occasion is the circumstance. Do you get that? And so when we say we're going to, would you pray for me and this thing that I'm facing, if all we do is say, Lord, change it so they get it to be the way they want it to be, how do you know that's what the Lord would have for them? Because that could just be selfish pursuit of our own desire. It could just be we actually want life to be a certain way and it's actually bad for us. And so what we do is we pray, we pray for the soul of the person. You're facing the loss of a loved one. What's hardest than that for you? Tell me about that. Who is the Lord who meets a person facing that? That's what I want to pray for. I want to pray that the sorrow would not be unending. But your worry or perhaps the concern about grief in the family or, the, or just the feeling of, of loss there that won't go away and a sense of powerlessness or regret over things not said. Can we, can we meet the Lord together as we pray through this thing? You see that? So if you want to be helpful to somebody, 
You have to be needy. Ed says this in his book, imagine an interconnected group of people who entrust themselves to each other. That's what we want, isn't it? As a church family, that's who we want to be. You can speak of your pain and someone responds with compassion and prayer. You can speak of your joys, like a 40th or an engagement, and someone shares them with you. You can even ask for help with sinful struggles and someone prays with you offers hope and encouragement from scripture and sticks with you until sin no longer seems to have the upper hand. There is openness and freedom and friendship and bearing burdens together and giving and receiving wisdom. No trite responses. And Jesus is throughout it all. In his his honour and in his strength, we want to grow into a wonderfully interdependent, wise, loving body of Christ, one in which we can help each other in times of trouble. Does that sound like a community you want to belong to? But here's the sad thing as I thought about that. So often that's not what people can see Christians to be like, do they? So often I speak to uh, children of, of believers and they have they rejected the gospel because what was just spoken about they didn't see in their parents. But they saw the opposite. They saw parents who for good reasons were trying to communicate that they saw very clearly and had morally arrived. Now kids are incredibly insightful. You put a foot in front and pretend to be all wise, and to be te- pretend to be moral, and pretend that you don't have a need for the Lord, that you, that when it comes to hard times and your desires, ultimately you make the choices, you're in charge, you'll decide the way it's going to be, and you'll say it for good reasons, kids can see through that a mile. Interestingly, from results that have come out of surveys of kids who go on in church, one of the factors that plays a part is, were my parents... Fake religious, pretending, or were they ones who walked in neediness? You know, it's possible to try to serve and care for other people for all the wrong reasons. So often in church, people accuse us of being fake because we're serving and trying to help. Not because we have a compassion and a heart for those who are near to us, but because it bolsters our sense of self-worth. I mean, let's, uh, look, that's not a problem just at the church alone. It's way out there. It's interesting that a lot of the charitable funding strategies for, for many of the big charities around are see whether you can outgive other people or we'll put your name up in lights for giving. They're not giving because there's compassion. They're giving because there's a getting there. And too often that is a religious version of that is seen within our churches. isn't the driver for loving and caring for people. We need to be so careful about being fake. Kids see through it. Our community sees through it. We, the greatest thing that we have is to be able to shout our neediness. I don't pretend to see everything. I've got some ideas from God's word about the way it is. But all I can tell you, before I'm going to talk about what you're doing wrong, that you can't see and how you have messed things up and made bad choices, I'm going to tell you about how I am more like you than different, and how Christ met me. Now, if you have somebody speaking like that, are they a threat to you? <laughs> of course they're not. They're actually quite a joy to be around. Because you get a sense that you're with a fellow 
struggle. And it's with that in mind that the Apostle speaks about that in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me read it to you again. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. In other words, there's no swagger in the kingdom because you are more needy than ever you've been willing to recognise. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, when we're called to Christ, the first thing that we're called to recognise is our neediness. You become incredibly, apparently aware of two things. Our sin and our weakness. Now they're not the same thing. But you become aware of our sin, that we've turned against the living God and trying to crack out on our own and we set our heart and our vision on almost anything other than him and belittle him in the process. And our weakness, the fact that we were made and created to be those who drew down on his resources day by day. And so I was struck the other night when a bunch of us fellows, we'd gone to our little retreat over in Wales and we walked down the, uh, the hill towards the pub and there was some ruckus going on outside the door and that's when I first uh, met and encountered Hannah. She was about five foot three. She got uh, sort of scruffy rocker kind of clothes and she was wrestling a six foot three, 18 stone drunk guy out of the pub where she was barmaid. I was like, that young lady is formidable. And I say young lady, she was probably in her late 30s, early 40s. And she was incredibly friendly, one of these gregarious people into a rock music. It turns out later when chatting to her, she's got a VFR 400 Honda. Now for those of you who are unacquainted and uninitiated into motorbikes, that is super awesome, cool, It's all you need to know. And she was telling me about how when she was eight months pregnant, she was bombing it around the Welsh lanes on this VFR 400 pocket rocket. So I was like, okay, but she sounds like a really interesting person. She'd got two kids, her relationship had broken down. And the two kids, she was really worried that they were going off the rails. She worried that they, they were gonna make some of the same choices that she had made. And so I said to her, listen, you know, I'm, she, she didn't believe for the first little while that I was a pastor, I mean, I couldn't imagine why. And after, when she finally accepted that was the case, and, that, and she asked a little bit about what I do, and I talked to people about and introduced people to the person they wish they'd always, they'd always could have met themselves. He's called Christ and he's wonderful. Talked to her about the reality of a Heavenly Father. I said, listen, uh, you've been really friendly. I'm enjoying getting to know you, but what can I pray for you? Dan, you were sitting there by when I was chatting to her. And what do you think she said? What do you think she said? Inner strength. Now, I say that's what she said. She said something else first. She said something about her circumstances, and I slowed her down. I said, no, no, that's not what I asked. I said, what can I pray for you, the inner you, the, the you that knows your need? And she said, inner strength. I said, wow, you're up for an incredible discovery. Because I'm going to pray for strength, not inner strength. That boring is inadequate, and if you could find it, you'd have found it by now, but you can't. There is a strength that comes from knowing that you 
haven't any, so you go to be near the one who has, the one who is good, the one who is gracious, the one who is eternal, the one who is wise, who is faithful, who never lets his children down and is ever present. When we feel weak, he is always strong. And she looked at me as if I was speaking Swahili. And I said, is it okay for me to pray for you for that? And she's still, yeah, okay, pray for inner strength. What? No! Spoke to another young lady, 19-year-old called Chloe. She was lovely. She, who ever heard of a Welsh 12-year-old girl playing cricket? She played for Wales. And she'd been led into doing cricket by a granddad, who clearly she doted on, but he passed away a few years ago. He clearly sort of been a bit of an anchor, a sense of direction for her life, a bit of clarity. And I said to her, you know, what, what's... What are you planning on now? What are your hopes for the future? You know? Sound like you've lost your way a little bit. Yeah, I suppose so. You know, you've heard me talking to Hannah about a God who is gracious, who wants to meet you in the midst of what you're facing, bring you grace, proven to us by Jesus. What do you think about that idea? I pray for you that if there's something that that he wants you to have from him, to know about him, to turn to him. Would you be willing to consider allow me to pray that? She, said, she, she thought for a moment, thought me, she says, that's what I need. There was somebody who knew their neediness. I said, well, listen, let me give you one more, I'll give you a freebie. When you're on the pub, when you're quiet, I'm going to be praying that for you. What do you think it would look like if you prayed that? I said, I don't know. I said, are you willing to try? I said, I will. Now, I'm really excited because I genuinely think she will. When people come before the Lord with neediness, amazing things happen. Let me remind you of that incredible, big, colourful verse in the Bible. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Do you know what that means? Every time you and I in our lives set ourselves up as self-sufficient, he loves to get in the way. Not because he's mean and oppressive, but because you're trying to live the opposite of every way in which you were supposed to live. And it will break you, and it will lead to destruction, both in this life and in the next. God opposes the proud. He gets in the way of it. Flipping at the celebrities and the politicians and the big people in the world. They better watch out. Because God opposes the proud. But who does he give grace to? He gives grace to the We will be marked as a community of those who are having grace sloshing around amongst us as we're humble and needy before the one who wants to meet our Need. So again, quoting Ed in his book, he says this, Humility simply acknowledges our sins and limitations, and it responds with, I need Jesus, and I need other people. And it turns out that the simple acknowledgement of our neediness and our weakness opens doors to the grace of God, where we will find renewed confidence, peace, security, wisdom, Strength and freedom in Him. Does anybody want that here today? All you have to do is believe Him. And He wants to meet you. 
So how are we going to help one another in this? The place where we will help one another is by asking others to pray for who? Us. How does that work? I'm going to be helpful to you by asking you to pray for me. But you know it works, don't you? Because we can't become a kind of community where self-protection is not acceptable. You know, that proud self-protection of vulnerability is something that we welcome, but not in a sentimental way. We're incredibly careful with the fine china of others' lives, because it is scary to be vulnerable. But because we've been vulnerable first, it's a safety net for us marching in and thinking, well, I know what you need. So we start with a humility fear, and we invite others, by our actions, by our words, by our neediness, to join us in that place of vulnerability, seeking our Heavenly Father. So what do I want you to do this week? Well, when you meet up, maybe some of you will do this in the church prayer meetings as we go through the week, or maybe as you start to meet with your two or your three, come ready to say, this is what I'm facing at the moment. This is the circumstance. And we've not tr trotted a few out as possibilities, haven't we? Maybe you've got a shift or a concern in the workplace. Maybe you've got, uh, maybe there's some relational stuff that needs to be worked through and you know that it doesn't bring out the best in you and you know that you're prone to blame others but you, you, you find it hard to take, take charge of your own junk in the midst of this. Maybe there's somebody who you feel very embittered against. Maybe you've just got a sense that the circumstances and situations that have come upon me right now aren't what I was looking for, and you can feel a resentful heart building up inside of you. It could be anything, it could be nothing. But take that occasion, that circumstance, and ask people to pray for you that you would know who the Lord is in the midst of this. Eddie even gives some examples in the book. He says this. Maybe you can go to somebody and say this. Sometimes I find it hard to even pray for difficult things in my life. Would you pray that I know deeply in my heart that God cares and invites me to pour out my heart to him? Anybody remember where in the Bible there's the, the invitation to pour out your heart to the Lord? Anybody know where it is? Psalm 62 verse 8, go look it up. Or else maybe you could say something like this. I've been sick for a while and can get so discouraged. Could you pray that I would be able to turn quickly to Jesus when I feel especially miserable? That's me. Maybe you need to be asking other people to be praying for you. I'll give you another one. My department manager has been critical and really rough recently. I don't know how to even think about this. Do you have any ideas on how I could pray? Those are the things that we face every day. That's where we live, isn't it? We don't pray merely about circumstance. We pray to how we respond to circumstance. And we will become a community that care for one another when we are much more willing to be needy and help us. Now, I find that hard because I'm proud. Because I've got this sick, twisted, worldly instinct that to be a leader means that I have to be strong. What's gone wrong with my thinking when I'm like that and I don't want to be vulnerable? What's gone wrong with me? 
I'm refusing to acknowledge that I'm needy, and in that effort to try to be a good example, I'm denying the gospel. So you can ask me anytime. <coughs> you should be able to ask me anytime. See what can I pray for you, and I will give you a thoughtful and clear answer. On a number of occasions, I will come to you, whether it's in a small group or when we're chatting, whether it's a fellows group, and I'll say, this is why you need to pray for me. Now, we're going to become that kind of community. Why? Because of who Jesus is. If we had time, we would turn to Hebrews chapter 4, and we would find there that we have a high priest who sympathises with our weaknesses. We have a high priest to whom we can go that we may receive mercy. All of this right and privilege was purchased for us by Jesus. The one with total strength became weak, went to a cross, was exposed to public humiliation in order that in our weakness we may have the access to strength. That we may go with boldness to find grace to help us at our time of need. So here's my question as I wrap up before we sing. Do you need the Lord today? Do you need him? Do you need him every hour? Do you need him? Let us become a community of people who know our need, who go to the Lord for our need, and invite others to go to the Lord for our need. We're going to sing about that now before we turn to the table.